All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Canucks fans. Been a weekend, hasn't it? It's a Monday, and that means another episode of Canucks Conversation. Now, last week, I told everybody every day of the week that I was going to be gone for the entirety of this week, but the Canucks had a team day off today. Huge win over the Boston Bruins. Of course, we're going to break that down. Resulted in a team day off, which means I didn't have to go to the rink to cover a practice or a morning skate or anything like that. So I'm on today. Irfan Gaffar will be in Tuesday through Friday in my seat in studio, but we're coming to you remotely today my name is Dave Guadrelli that is Harmon Dial and Canucks Conversation is brought to you as always by the Toyota BZ4X the BZ4X is Toyota's brand new all-electric SUV that is designed to go the distance for you and your family the BZ4X is packed with Toyota's coolest tech but it still has that trusty SUV feel you know and love and even though it's electric it's capable of effortlessly conquering any terrain whether it's rain snow mud or your friends questionable post-game recaps the BZ4X will get you through Maybe they're questionable Elias Pettersson takes. We'll get to that. That's all coming up on today's show. But we got to give a special shout out to our special guest producer, live from Edmonton, Aaron Bordado. Bring yourself in, Aaron. Aaron, people are happy to see you back. How uh, How's things going in Oilers land? We see they've lost three straight again. Well, I just said to you before the show that if you want to be technical about it, the last time we lost three in a row, we then won 16 in a row. <laughs> So I don't know if that's going to happen again. Things have come back down to reality here in Edmonton, but it hasn't for you boys, has it at all? But the first time your team lost three straight, didn't they lose 16 straight or something like that? That's enough. <laughs> that's 2023. We don't, we don't talk about that. That's the old me. I'm new me, 2024 me. And in all seriousness, we have a lot of new listeners, so I'm going to explain to people who Aaron is. Aaron was our producer for all of last season. He sat with Faber and I on every episode I don't know how many times we made him play the the tank clip because the team wasn't doing well at all last season. And it was, it was arguably one of the worst years or definitely the worst year we've had to cover. Um, but everything's turned around this year. So Aaron's looking at the standings. He's, you know, he's got a lot of hot takes about Guillaume Brisebois from his time on this show, but Aaron's seeing this team doing well. And we saw this team do well on Saturday. So let's get to our Harmon. I didn't even talk to you. How, how was your weekend? It was awesome. I mean, just watching that Boston game Saturday night, hockey night in Canada to finally get over this narrative that the Canucks can't be top teams, right? Because I've heard that a lot coming up, especially I look at my friends as gauge of what casual fans think of this, think of this team. Obviously I have some friends who are diehards as well, but man, it was such a strong narrative, especially after losing against uh, Colorado that why doesn't this team show up in big games against top opponents? Of course, the last time the Canucks played the Bruins, there was that stinker. 
and for them to finally crush this narrative with the way that they came back in this game was unbelievable theater. They were so dominant in the third period. And just think about the situation going into the third period. You're in the middle of a four-game losing streak, about to be five at that point. You're down to nothing. It's been five periods against the Bruins where you haven't been able to score a single goal. They seem to neutralize Vancouver's ability to create offense because they just did such an excellent job of boxing out. So there, there were, yes, the Canucks had an advantage in the first two periods in terms of shots, but Swayman was seeing a lot of those pucks and they weren't really a lot of quality looks. So with all that in mind, to then have the resolve, to then have the everybody just pulling on the rope to turn the momentum around and dominate the Bruins, just completely flatten them in the third period. The Canucks nearly won that game in regulation. Don't forget that either, because after <laughs> they tied it up, uh, Connor Garland had that great A chance um, right around the last minute. So one of the most impressive comebacks of uh, of this season. And really, that's a character-defining moment for this season because, look, there are going to be times in the playoffs where it's going to feel like your back's against the wall. Your belief is going to be tested. And to know that you have that deep inside you to, even when everything's going against you, flip the script, that's an element you need if you're a team that has ambitions of going deep in the playoffs. And we're going to break it all down. This game recap is brought to you by our friends over at Four Winds Brewing. Family owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy drinking beer. A beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Harmon, lots to like. Lots to like from that game. Uh... I noted this early on in the game and I tweeted out and I was on rink wide as well with Jeff after the game, but I noted this very, very early on in the game was that it wasn't like the Canucks didn't try. It reminded me of the Colorado game where it was a really solid effort. It wasn't like the Seattle game where you're questioning effort level and all that sort of stuff. It was a good effort against the Bruins, just like it was a good effort against Colorado. What I really noticed was that the Canucks were getting in on the forecheck. And one thing that's been such a key part of this team's identity this season has been their overwhelming forechecking ability, right? And their ability to make defensemen make quick decisions to get on forwards quickly so that they're, you know, when, when it's the first forward breaking out a puck, they're already kind of swarmed by two, two forecheckers, if not, you know, or excuse me, one forechecker, if not two, the Canucks forecheck was good against Boston. Boston was just better. Like Boston was better at breaking the puck out and they just had a really, really solid counter to the Canucks forecheck. And I thought that at that point I was watching him saying, okay, well, the Canucks can't create anything off that. They're not going to win this game. And then in the third period, they just kept after it. I think that was one of the more impressive things was like you said, when your back's up against the wall, testing your resolve, they didn't change the way they played. And post game GT Miller said that they played, he felt they played better or played a really solid game against one of the best teams in the league for a full 60 minutes. And yes, there was the two goals, obviously, but once they kind of started to break down the Boston breakout and look, most of that third period was spent in Boston's end. And that was a really, a, a real testament to what the Canucks did. Um, I think you also have to give your flowers to Thatcher Demko, who made a really solid save off Pavel Zaka in that third period when the game was still two nothing Harmon. I believe that chance came at the nine, nine minutes left in the third period. And if that had gone in, that's 11 minutes of strong pressure followed by really one successful Boston breakout that would have would have if it did result in a goal that's a backbreaking goal right there that would have that would have ended it that would have ended the game right there but Thatcher Demko comes up with a very very key save I thought he was phenomenal in that game comes up with key save the Canucks go the other way and of course as we know Brock Bester scores two including the overtime winner JC Miller with assists on all three Canucks goals. Harm, I think he's the focus of that game. Arguably the best game we've ever seen from JT Miller in a Canucks uniform. He was such a workhorse, such a monster. Um, he, of course, had the three assists, four shots, eight hits, 12 to six on faceoffs, led Canuck forwards in ice time. He put the Canucks offense on his back. This is probably the best stretch of five and five hockey that we've seen from JT Miller in his career. And that's saying a lot considering how well he's played in Vancouver uh, since the initial trade from Tampa, but it's not just what he brought to the table in terms of the stat line. 
it's the fire it's the energy it's the heart and soul impact and sort of setting the tone in a big game right immediately from the drop of the puck he popped on the screen as okay jt's come here to play with how physical he was how hard he was to play against how many times did he bump charlie mcavoy make his life difficult Um, just the work rate that he had was again this team doesn't have i don't think Outside of JT, a lot of that type of fire, that emotion. Nils Hoaglander certainly brings that in the top six. But it's not like this team outside of JT has a lot of that element, especially with somebody like Dakota Joshua out. So even from an emotional standpoint of dragging your team into the fight, um, sparking something, that truly means a lot. And when I've had conversations with Canucks players in the past, like Connor Garland, they've brought that up as... Even on nights when we're not going, and not to suggest that the Boston game was one where they started slowly, but JT is that guy that can so often just energize the energize the team with um, how, again, physical he is, um, just how emotional he is, how he wears his heart on his sleeve. I think that as an intangible is a really important quality as well because this is a pretty quiet group. It's not a fiery group. Um, When JT first came over here, uh, part of why the Canucks like to fit too was even from a personality standpoint, they looked at some of the leaders on this team and went, well, we're a really quiet group and and sometimes you need some of that fire, some of that F you in your team's game. And and that's what JT brings. Uh, I was going to bring up that Dakota Joshua is probably the only player really close to being that same level of JT in terms of being a disruptor, especially on the forecheck, which I brought up nine times already. Uh, new lines. We saw new lines in that game. Elias Lindholm centering the third line. Sunday's practice, we saw those same lines. Uh, what did you think of those? Arshdeep Baines, obviously, still getting a good look here. And it looks like he'll be up for a while. Uh, Jeff Patterson spoke with Baines and Rick Tockett at Sunday's practice. That's where he's up on Canucks Army. But it looks like Baines will be here for a while. What did you think of the new lines? Yeah, I thought Lindholm's line created a couple of uh, decent chances early in the game. I thought in the first period especially they were uh, pretty effective, got a little bit quieter. Uh, I think we're still looking for a little bit more uh, perhaps from the Pedersen line at 5-on-5, although they were totally fine. I thought um, especially in the third period they started to – get going, build some momentum. And then the Miller line, of course, was um, on fire. I thought it worked. Uh, And is this a long-term solution to be able to have Pedersen, Miller, and Lindholm all down the middle? I'm not convinced that long-term they have the winger depth to be able to ice all three of those guys at, uh, at center. I mean, put it this way. When you have Pedersen, Miller, Lindholm, and Teddy Bluger, that's arguably the best center depth in the NHL. But I don't know if they have enough play drivers on the wing to be able to to roll with that. But it worked against Boston. And just like we were, when we were having the conversation about um, the lotto line in January, for example, when you find something that works, even if it's something that's only going to give you a short-term spark, just keep rolling with it and see, um, see, what, see how long it, it can last. Because it's clear that Pedersen and Lindholm weren't quite clicking together and talk it on Friday after UBC's practice. um, He said that he thinks they may ultimately just be better in terms of Pedersen and Lindholm both playing center. So we'll see how long it lasts. It clearly worked against Boston. uh, And I'm curious to see how it looks moving forward as well. You said it won't be or might not be a long-term fit. That's fine. But the fact it's an option really speaks to what this team wanted to get when they went out and acquired Elias Lindholm, right? Like, look, Elias Lindholm probably hasn't been maybe as great as the team was hoping he would be when they went out and traded that package for him. But you can't say he's not versatile. Like, he's going to be able to do a lot of different things for you. And that includes centering your third line uh, while you wait for Dakota Joshua to get back and, you know, really reunite that line. And hey, like, the thing I keep thinking of is when Joshua gets back, what does that third line look like if they have Elias Lindholm centering them? Like, you would think it'd be a... I, and again, it's hard to say there's anybody that's going to be a better fit than and any one member of the three guys that have been on it all season long, but you would think that Elias Lindholm would be an upgrade on Teddy Bluger on that line. Definitely. And again, it's reliant on Ken Pia Suter... 
um, Ilya Mikheyev and Nils Hoaglander all fit in your top six because that's what you're banking on. That's what concerns me. Um, but you are right. If you can have a scenario where your top six hold its own, holds its own um, with the lines as it is, and then you have Lindholm on the third, that, that would be probably, uh, assuming they would have chemistry together, the best third line in the NHL. If you had Lindholm, Garland, um, and um, and Joshua. So if that is an option that you're able to roll that out in playoff time, it gives you the lineup depth that, okay, if you shut down our top six, we've got a trump card in our bottom six that they can still deliver offense. So like you said, it, it may not be your plan A option, but it gives you options. It gives you flexibility. And that's huge, especially because you don't know what's going to happen um, in the playoffs in terms of injuries, in terms of what players get hot, what players get co- get cold. Um, Talkit has like a million different line combos he can he can construct because Lindholm is a Swiss Army knife player, Suter's a Swiss Army knife player, um, Bluger can play all over the play all over the lineup, um, Hoaglander can play all over the lineup. There's just a number of guys that can slot up and down. Uh, I want to get to this quickly, and we're going to talk Patterson. We are going to talk Patterson later in the show. Um, but folks, if you're coming here for Big, crazy takes. You're not getting them today. Uh, the thing we're going to focus on with Elias Patterson, like we do with so many of these speculative situations, is just focusing on what we know. So we're just going to give you the facts, everything we know about the situation, a timeline of the events that have led to, if you open Twitter, you just see Elias Patterson's name in the first 100 tweets you look at. It's going to be crazy right now. It's going to be crazy for a bit, but we are going to get to Pedersen. People are talking about it in the chat. And I just want to get to this one quick. It's not anyone else yet, but we'll answer this question from Nar, who's a regular listener of the show. Lindholm at 9 million or PD at 12 million? Pick one. I'm going to answer for both of us and say Elias Pedersen at 12 million, 10 times over. Yeah, it's not even close. Okay. Anyways, um, and, and Nar throwing this one out. I fully expect PD's game to improve as he starts to fill out his frame. Jeremy Lee saying, shh. No baseball talk just yet because Karan brought up that we're only focusing on the game and the optics. Don't worry. I've got some Shohei Otani stuff. Uh, Mark Vaz asking if there's a timeline on Dakota Joshua's return at Friday's practice or maybe, excuse me, maybe it was Saturday or Sunday's practice. Uh, Rick Tockett did say they were close. Him and Carson Soucy are both close. So that's a really good sign for the Canucks. Uh, Soucy and Joshua were believed to have skated before Sunday's practice. That courtesy of our man on the inside, Jeff. Patterson, who's filling in on Scarison Price all week long. Again, folks, I've said it before. Earth all week. It's going to be Earth from Tuesday through Friday. I'm going to be at the rink. I'm going to be the man on the inside. I might do a hit on the show, Harm. It's been a while since I've done that, but maybe I'll, uh, <clears throat> maybe I'll uh, help you out with uh, some some That'd news awesome. from the rink. Some news from the rink. Okay. Did a you have anything quick... else you want to get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a couple quick uh, notes. Uh, players that deserve some love after that game. Uh, Brock Besser, obviously, right? So much attention on JT and rightfully so, but Brock had the perfect snipe um, for for Vancouver's first goal in the third period. He had the perfect screen on Hironik's tying goal, which is huge because for most of the night, Boston was doing a terrific job of boxing out, making sure Swayman could see pucks. He could not see that Hironik slapper and and good for Hironik as well, making up for his defensive mistake um, earlier in that game with a bomb of a shot from the point. Uh, and then, of course, Besser, that uh, that OT deflection goal after uh, an unbelievable pass from uh, Miller. Besser de- deserves some love. And I thought Nikita Zadorov had a hell of a game as well. Um, our pal White Arndt suggested, hey, that might be Zadorov's best game as a Canuck. I tend to agree there. The shot attempts were 19-5 to with Zadorov on the ice at 5-on-5. Five five. And just watching him play, he was offensively involved without trying to do too much or making mistakes, because that's sometimes uh, the issue when Zadorov tries to be involved and make plays is he might skate it in too deep. He might turn it over, but this time he found that perfect balance. He had the, he had a great assist on Besser's opening goal Um, in the first period. He even had a little spin pass from the point uh, to set up a chance. It's also physical had, uh, had a good hit on Pasternak. So I thought he had a hell of a night, which is, important because over the last few games before the Boston one, I don't think he and Juleson have necessarily been, uh, been the best at five on five. So great bounce back game for him as well. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Zdorov. I thought that was a perfect example of what the Canucks thought they were getting in him. And I'm not saying he's underachieved or anything like that, but like if 
you asked the Canucks to show you what they wanted to get from Nikita Zadorov, that game would be it. Like he was physical. He was moving the puck extremely well, wheeling the puck out when he had to. It was it was a very solid game for Nikita Zadorov. And Mike Lou, our guy who writes the statsies over at Canucks Army, said that it was Nikita Zadorov's best game as a Vancouver Canucks. So a couple best games uh, for JT Miller and Nikita Zadorov. Uh, tomorrow, Pittsburgh's in town, and that's going to be an interesting game. I expect Casey DeSmith to get started. I know I talked about goaltending, so I'll do it again. I expect Casey DeSmith to get started against his former team. And Harm, the one thing I want to say before we move on to under the hood is that, well, it may seem like a bit of an overreaction. My instant reaction during that game or after that game on Saturday night was that that was more of a turning point for the Canucks than I think people realize and i'm i'm just you know i'm going off the vibes i'm giving you my vibes take that that's a real turning point for this team where like they, they hadn't faced much adversity this season and all the players were very open and honest about that that was their first real adversity and it looked like it was going to continue i'll be honest like wyatt said it too i thought they were going to lose that game for sure like before the puck had even dropped i just i was looking at it as a scheduled loss they were going to lose but then they were going to get right against pittsburgh and then things were going to start to turn around the fact the turnaround came in that fashion and that it came a game earlier than I think a lot of us expected it to, that's a real testament to this team and what they're capable of. And I'm going to be honest, like to me, that's that's a huge turning point in their season. I wanted to mention this as well because Earth is in all week. And I don't want you to forget, when Frank Cervalli's on on Wednesday, we got to monitor this bet because the Canucks are 4-5-2 and two in February. A win and an overtime loss would keep them at 500 on the month, the NHL 500, right? You don't count OT losses. Uh, it would keep them at 500 on the month. And I'll remind everybody that me and Earth, or excuse me, yeah, no, me and Frank, me and Frank made a bet against Earth, uh, two separate bets, but Earth took both of us on that the Canucks would not have another month where they were below 500 on the season. I think we made that bet back in November, I want to say, maybe December, I'm not sure. Um, but it's up to monitor because if they lose, uh, if they lose, I think either game, if they lose one of these games, not an overtime loss, like if they lose in regulation against Pittsburgh or LA, they're going to finish the month below 500. Yeah, they're, they are going to finish the month below 500. And that would mean that Irfan Gaffar wins the bet against Frank Saravalli and I. So it's something to monitor, something to monitor. Uh, but I honestly believe, I'm not just saying this because I want to win the bet against Irf, because uh, God knows my Hughes bet against Faber is taking the turn for the worse. Um, I'm not just saying it for that reason. It really did feel like Saturday night was a turning point for this team. Absolutely. And the one thing to keep in mind is, and, and I sometimes fall into this habit as well, is mentioning that, okay, they haven't faced a lot of adversity this season, but I wonder how useful it is for them to remember the adversity that they faced basically in all of the previous years where they've consistently been losing. Um, like at some point you hope that that, that transition from, okay, we're, we're dog water as a team to now we've finally figured it out this season, that pain, that painful, hard, long, arduous process um, has hardened them to the point where they can overcome uh, a stretch like this, right? Because think about a big picture to go from one of the worst teams in the NHL and consistently underperform since the COVID bubble run to, to now being one of the best teams in the Western conference, that's way harder to do than, okay, we're in the middle of a 40 game losing streak and we're down against Boston, the team that whooped us. I mean, both of them are, are tough situations. Both of that is adversity. But you just hope that going through all those miserable losing seasons at least gave them something that they can use um, now that they're a successful team. So that's something that I've been thinking about as well and that I'm going to be curious to perhaps talk to players about um, as they um, return home because for as much as they haven't faced adversity this season, um, Boy, they faced a lot of it in years past. No kidding. And Tyler Myers brought that up as well. So he might be a good player to talk to and get some more from because I'm curious what it actually looks like in practice. That, that, that's that been like what I've been most curious about this season is we hear all these things. And I am always asking players and coaches 
what does that actually look like in practice? Like one was, um, you know, the Canucks ability to play tired. And I've, you know, I've kind of been logging that just kind of in my memory bank in November, we were hearing Ian Cole and Rick talk talk about how bad this team was at playing tired. And then I asked them both, okay, what does it look like to play tired? And they went in depth and explained it, which was really nice. And now, you know, I asked Rick talking, I think two weeks ago I was there and I said, okay, how's your team improved at playing tired? He's like, oh, night and day. Like they've, they've gotten so much better. But the thing Rick Tockett did say about that is there's still another level for his team to get to. So really interesting to kind of, uh, you know, keep these conversations going and keep talking to these players. And of course, Rick Tockett as well, uh, as the season progresses in the playoffs, just 22 games away. And folks, the Vancouver Canucks are first in the NHL. It's another Monday edition of Canucks Conversation. And it's another Monday edition of Canucks Conversation when the Canucks have the best record in the National Hockey League at 82 points after 60 games played. Take that, Aaron. Uh, okay, let's get to our um, let's get to under the hood. Brought to you as always by Mr. Lube. I got more on this. Excuse me. Yeah, under the hood. Brought to you by Mr. Lube. Take it away, Harm. Yeah, I just wanted to break down some of the numbers of JT Miller's dominance since the All Star break. He's got eight goals in 11 games. He's tied with Austin Matthews for the five on five goal scoring lead. And that's huge to me because Miller's had dominant stretches before, but often a lot of it was dictated by power play production. And through this stretch, it's more been his um, his excellent play to even strength that's powered this stretch. You also got the dominant two-way results. The Canucks are controlling 64% of high-danger scoring chances, according to Natural Statric, with Miller on the on the ice at 5-on-5 five five since the All-Star break, which essentially means Canucks are generating nearly two high-danger looks for every one that they're conceding uh, with the Miller line. And this is probably the most crooked number of all. The Canucks have outscored teams 11-1 to one with Miller on the ice at 5-on-5 five five since the All-Star break. So they are cooking um, with JT, and he's really putting the team on um, on his back during this stretch. I'll just hint at it. Uh, my my bet later on is JT Miller to win the Hart Trophy. I'm just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Uh, we'll see it. We'll see it later on in the show. That was Under the Hood, brought to you by Mr. Lube, the pioneer of the no-appointment warranty-approved oil change, now providing appointment-free tire service and sales. Find them at one of their 16 locations across the Lower Mainland. To find your nearest location, visit them online at mrlube.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, before anyone else, I said we'd talk about it, and Harm, you and I kind of discussed this before the show, how we were going to touch on this, because it's dominating every show in the city right now, it's dominating the Twitter discourse, and hey, let's be honest, it's dominating a lot of the conversations that people are just having with their friends about this team, so of course, we're going to talk about it, we're going to talk about Elias Pedersen and the contract situation uh, going on. Now, I did want to start with this clip. I think we have this, Aaron, from Elliot Friedman um, on Hockey Night in Canada. And that, that, that's kind of the big thing here. This wasn't just randomly tweeted out 
This was delivered on Hockey Night in Canada by Elliot Friedman. Uh, this clip comes to you cour courtesy of Sportsnet, and it is why we are all talking about Elias Pettersson today. Vancouver, and probably should mention Vancouver and Boston playing each other tonight, but the Canucks, uh, look, like Jim Rutherford's been at this a long time. They think they can win. He, there's a lot of things he could try to do, but one of the things I think that has developed over the last couple of weeks in Vancouver is the amount of noise around Pedersen, and I think what that has led to is teams calling the Canucks and saying, what exactly is going on here, and could he be available? Now, the Canucks do not want to comment on this. They feel the noise is already enough, but they are telling teams we are trying to sign him, and that is our goal. Okay, so what we're going to focus on is what we know about the situation. We're going to go through a timeline of the events that have unfolded to this point and what we actually know about the situation. And folks, I'll just tell you right now, the short answer is not much because nobody knows. Nobody knows exactly what Elias Pettersson is thinking except for Elias Pettersson and maybe his agents. But what we do know are all of the following. The first thing I want to say is that Elliot Freeman clip that we just played for you, the report there, the thing that's changed in recent weeks is what he said, is that teams are now calling the Canucks to see what's up with Elias Pettersson. Now, as Friedman said, the Canucks are telling teams that they want to sign this player. That tells me that there is not going to be any sort of trade before the March 8th trade deadline. Now, it's not its not a coincidence that that's when teams are calling, just to see, just to see if anything's changed and maybe the Canucks hadn't told anybody. Teams are doing their due diligence. Now, I also wanted to mention this. I, I see this on Twitter and everywhere else. People saying, well, Friedman's making this up. There's no leaks in the Canucks organization. He said the Canucks didn't want to comment on it. That should tell you that he's talking to other teams to find out this information. That other teams, the subject, are calling the Canucks on Elias Pettersson. The Canucks don't want to comment in on it, as Friedman said. But as they've told us all along, we talked to Jim Rutherford. You and I were both there, Harm, when he signed his extension. Their desire, the owner spoke up, Francesco Aglini spoke up and said it as well. Their desire is to sign the player. Now, what we know is that at the start of the season on that boat in Stockholm, Pedersen was chatting with Friedman and said that he didn't want to negotiate in season, that he just wanted to focus on having a good year. He's doing just that. The team is doing good. And we have known all along, Elias Pedersen wants to win. The team is winning right now. The main thing is that he hasn't changed his tune uh, since the start of the season and has basically just stuck to his word that he didn't want to negotiate in season. Nothing's changed there. You brought up an interesting piece of context that I think is worth bringing up. So I'll let you do that because you brought it up and it made me think a little too. And it's interesting that you brought it up. Yeah, so I think I have two main takeaways through this. The first is, as you alluded to, he said since the summer that he wants to wait until the end of the season to address his contract situation. So I don't think now is the time to be freaking out or panicking that He's essentially sticking to his word because this is what he said he was going to do all along. Now, on the other hand, there is, I think, something to be said about, hey, it would be nice to get a clear message that from him or his camp that says, hey, this is where I want to be in sign long term. Because Austin Matthews and William Nylander, for example, months before their actual contracts were, were signed, left zero doubt about the fact that they wanted to stay in Toronto. They were publicly gushing about how much they loved it there. You haven't exactly had that type of endorsement from Pedersen yet, which is why I think some of the doubt and some of the anxiety um, creeps in. But just because we haven't had that yet, it doesn't mean that Canucks fans should be panicking or that he's leaving for sure. Uh, I ultimately come back to this. It's something that you address when the season's over, you figure out. And again, because he's made it clear that this is a decision he's going to make at the end of the season, I just don't see a point in freaking out or panicking about it right now, even though I understand, given the context, that there hasn't been a clear indication um, that he for sure wants to, sit, wants to stay. I do understand why there's conversation, discussion, um, some doubt and anxiety among Canucks fans. But now I, I just don't think it's the time to panic. No, it's not. And again, we're focusing on what we know. And this is another interesting thing from Sino Chick in the chat here said people forget that the Sedins took their contract negotiations to July one and they were UFAs. Imagine if Twitter was big back then. 
the other thing that I wanted to bring up, there's a couple more points that I wanted to make sure we hit on. Because again, I'm not, we're not just saying, oh, stop worrying, stop worrying. We're only talking about what we know. Here's another thing we know, Harm, that I think is interesting to bring up. Shortly after signing his contract extension for three years, Jim Rutherford went on Sportsnet at 650. And after he was asked about Elias Pettersson, rather unprompted, Rutherford brought up the fact that they wouldn't want to make a big trade in season when the team is playing well. This tells me a few things. The first thing is that in Rutherford's mind, he knows trading Pedersen is a possibility if the player doesn't want to sign in Vancouver. This doesn't seem like a situation that's going to, you know, catch the Canucks completely off guard. Like it seems like they've at least done some preparation and, you know, teams are calling, they're doing their due diligence. And I'm sure the Canucks are doing their due diligence as well of, okay, if this worst case scenario happens, how are we going to then make the best of it? Similar to what they did with Bo Horvat. You think about that situation where, you know, they had to pivot and they had to go out and make a trade that they didn't necessarily think they were going to have to make all along. What we don't know at this point uh, is at what point Rutherford says, all right, it's time to talk trade. Uh, we, we've spoken with Frank Saravalli and he kind of threw out the draft and it's, it's reasonable to think that that's the case. We don't know for sure though. You wouldn't expect that Jim Rutherford would say, all right, we'll give you a qualifying offer, sign you for one year, and then we'll try to move you out. Then you lose a lot of leverage. Um, I doubt the Canucks would go that route, but hey, stranger things have happened. Um, you would think that that deadline, though, for them to kind of you know say, okay, Elias, you need to make your decision by this point, would then be about the draft free agency kind of uh period, because that's obviously when teams want to make their big plans, they want to make their planning, and you have the best chance of getting the best return at that time. Uh, all of this means that we can say with a certain degree of confidence, though, that Pedersen won't be traded ahead of this trade deadline. Shocker. All this report, and I want to stress this, was Friedman saying that teams have started calling the Canucks in recent weeks. Is it a bit peculiar that the player doesn't want to negotiate and that this is drawn on this long? Yeah, it is. Alvin even said as much. And that's why teams are calling to just get a gauge on the situation because you have to think about it. If you're an opposing general manager, you're looking at the situation and saying, okay, this is a bit weird. You alluded to it earlier. Players in the past have come out and said, yeah, I haven't decided if I want to go short or long-term, but I do know that I want to be here. Like, I know this is where I want to be. I'm not going anywhere. You haven't heard that from Elias Patterson. So sure, there, there's reason for fans to, to some extent, get a little bit, you know, worried, uh, have some doubts. I understand that. I understand all that. But the other thing to remember is just that the player has said all along that he wants to wait until the offseason to make his decision. The team has said we are comfortable with that. All that has changed is that teams have started calling them and asking, okay, has that changed? And as Friedman said in the report, the answer hasn't changed. The Canucks are telling teams, no, we still want to sign this player. In my mind, None of this is coming from the Canucks. Uh, none of this is coming from the Canucks end. This is just, you know, it, it's a report coming from information from other teams is what it seems like to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, of course, where, where it came from, but I think the overall point stands. I mean, the time to really be thinking about this um, from fans' perspective is, Qualifying offers will be due in late June, and then by July 1st, as an RFA, Pedersen would at, would at that point be freely able to discuss uh, with all 31 other teams. And even in that scenario, right, the Canucks will match any offer sheet they get, right? So it's yeah. not as if they're going to get caught off guard by, um, like, if a team gives Pedersen a seven or eight year, uh, seven year offer sheet, for example. That, that would be great news for the Canucks because they, <laughs> they, they could just match that and keep them, right? So, um, and then even the qualifying offer angle, I mean, yeah, they'll send a qualifying offer if a contract hasn't been done yet, but it's rare for a star player to just take the one-year um, deal that walks them straight to, um, to free agency. June is really the month where you'd start, start worrying if you haven't gotten that indication. And again, all along, um, going back to... The, even the early part of the season, just the overall sense and vibe that I'd gotten was that he was genuinely waiting until the end of the season to um, to decide what he wants to do with his future. Because think about it from his perspective. He's in his prime years. This may be the most important contract he signs in his career. Uh, he really wants to win a Stanley Cup, but also you're you're making a life decision here of, um, where do you want to plant your roots in terms of the city you live in? Uh, because also keep in mind, this is 
the age where just from a human perspective, uh, players often settle down, they start a family, like these are huge decisions and there's no need to rush it, rush thinking about all of those factors when you're in the middle of a season. You're going to have plenty of time um, in the summer to look at all your options, um, decide and decide what you want to do once you've gotten as much information as possible as you can about, okay, how comfortable do I feel in Vancouver? How much confidence do I have in not just, okay, we're successful this year, but can we be annual cup contenders? Uh, you just have so much more information to to work with. I think all along, Pedersen has been incentivized both financially, but also from an information perspective to drag this out and um, and wait. It makes sense. Like it, it makes sense why he's doing. It. He said he he said he was gonna do it. Like he's that's the thing. He said he was going to wait, and all we're seeing is that he's waiting. And again, folks, all that has changed is that teams have started to call the Canucks and ask what is going on with Elias Patterson, and they are telling them the answer has not changed. We are still trying to sign him. Nothing's changed. Like nothing's changed. And again, I'm not gonna tell people how to be a fan. I'm not gonna tell people what they should think about and what they shouldn't think about. You brought it up, Harm it's fine. It's fine to have some doubts and it's fine to worry. It's fine. But I know the number one thing I want to talk about is what's happening on the ice right now. And as we get to anyone else, I know that that is going to be a very, very tough, tough ask for our YouTube live chat that is currently filled with Elias Patterson conversation. So folks get your anyone else's in because harm you're doing the reads all week. I'll take this one off your plate. It's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's promo code NATION25, all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25. Offer valid in Canada, subject change, terms do apply. Double Dash is easy. Order from multiple restaurants or stores in the same delivery without any additional delivery fees. Everyone can get what they want and need at no additional cost. Cannot beat it. Uh, Lisa Martin in the YouTube live chat asking to talk about Bert. So Bert's good on a leash. Like, like Bert does good leash training. Like he's good. He walks loose leash. But man, we went to the we went to the lake the other day. And oh my gosh, there were so many ducks and you know, Canada geese. We were avoiding the Canada geese big. Well, I was, he was, and he was trying to charge everything. And I was like, dude, like not okay. He was just with the wind too. the leaves get picked up and start blowing. And they're like in his face. So he's like chasing them. Cause he loves, you know, chasing. So he sees the leaves moving. It's a nightmare. It's been a nightmare. I'm not going to lie. Um, so that's my Bert conversation for the show. Let's see. I was more so killing time uh, for us to get some actual anyone else's in, but I appreciate Lisa long time listener of the show. Lisa Martin. All right, Karan, speaking of long-time listeners, is Baines Lindholm Garland the new shutdown line for the Canucks? I don't think they're necessarily going to get the toughest matchups. I'll I'll look for it. And I think big picture, that is going to be interesting going into the playoffs, especially now that the Canucks have um last change with home ice. Uh, to see, okay, now that Taki can dictate matchups, which line is he um, more so going to use um, against you know top opponents? It'd be an option, potentially, but I still think that, um, it, especially with how well the Miller line is playing, that... Um, you know, that always remains an option to to go towards, especially with how much experience JT picked up early in the season in that matchup role. But one thing I picked uh, picked up on, just looking at the overall um, Vancouver matchup data, courtesy of Puck IQ, is that I don't think Tockets looked to necessarily hard match uh, forward lines against um, the opposition's best players. It's not like he's picked one line and been like, this line is always going to shut down the opposition's um best players it was that case a little bit with miller early in the season but since then it's been relatively flat because you look at the number of minutes um that miller and Pedersen, for example playing on separate lines have played against elite competition um it's nearly identical it's 305 minutes for JT Miller at 5 and 5 this season against quote unquote elite competition and Pedersen's at 283 um, so the top six lines have been relatively even this year in terms of getting tough matchups. 
And then a cut below that, um, just under 200 minutes, is um, is the Garland line. So I still expect the top six to get most of the tough matchups. But I do think it's interesting that Travis Green, for example, was very insistent on I'm picking this forward line as my shutdown line, which was the Horvat line. There would be a huge discrepancy between the top and the bottom of uh, of his roster in terms of matchups. I still think Talkit cares about matchups to some extent, but they seem more flexible and fluid with it um, and sort of changing things on a game-by-game basis. And the same thing's true with the D pairs, right? There are some nights where Hughes and Hironic go up against the top lines. There are some nights where it's the Tyler Myers pair. Um, and I think they've taken more of a fluid, dynamic approach to dictating that. Don't forget the Beagle, Schaller, Erickson shutdown line. Well, that was more of a secondary matchups. Bo, Bo's minutes when he was in, Van, in Vancouver under Green were not just the toughest on the Canucks, but some of the toughest in the entire NHL. The Green was so extreme. Like, you'd look at matchup data, and you'd look at, okay, who's playing the toughest minutes? And there'd be like a couple Canucks right at the top. And then you'd look at, okay, who's playing the softest, weakest minutes? Who's most sheltered? And then you'd have like Adam Gaudet at the bottom. And you're like, man, Travis Green is really particular about what matchups he wants. I need to figure this out because what I'm referencing is there was one season where he got, Bo Horvat got hurt. He hurt his foot in a game. And for some reason, I remember this. It was against the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm trying to remember which season it was. He hurt his foot. I All I remember was that it was against the Carolina Hurricanes. I was in attendance at the game as a fan. So I was in high school at the time. No, not high school. I think I was just in university. I got to figure it out. I got to find it. But there was like a two-month stretch where Beagle Schaller Erickson was the shutdown line. Someone's going to know what I'm talking about. But like it was the hard match. It was like top top opposition was coming into town. It was like, and here's Connor McDavid's line getting shut down or <laughs> attempting to get shut down by Beagle Schaller and Erickson. So if Schaller was there, it was 2019-20 then. What year did Tim Schaller play here? 2019-20. Uh, but Horvat didn't get hurt that year. I'm I'm yeah. misremembering something. I'm losing I'm missing I'm missing some facts, as I normally do. Uh okay. Oh yeah, Di- yeah, yeah. Dinazide here said it was in Besser's rookie season that that happened. But the Sedines were still here in Besser's rookie season. Right? Yes. All right. I shouldn't figure this out on the show. Someone figure it out and tell me what I'm I'm remembering here. Because all I remember is that line being like a a primary shutdown line. Anyways. All right. Um, Let's see. Oh, Nars asking if Adam Gaudet is playing pro right now. Yes, he is. He's with the Springfield Thunderbirds. And uh, yeah, good guy, Adam Gaudet. I always say it about Adam Gaudet, but he he was a good dude. He was a good dude. Played Warzone with us, helped us raise money for Dave Nordham. He's a point per game player in the AHL right now. He's about to hit his 30th goal, which would be a career high at any level, aside from his last year at Northeastern University when he scored 30 goals in 38 games played. So, yeah, Adam Godet doing pretty well right now down in the AHL. It's too bad that he couldn't stick uh, in the NHL and that he couldn't stick in Vancouver. Okay. Uh, okay, Alec Correa asked, did anyone claim to be I am Big Doggy at the watch party? And the answer <laughs> is no. We did not hear from I am Big Doggy at the watch party, but the watch party was so fun. It was so electric. Thanks again to our friends at Greta and, of course, Canuck Place Children's Hospice, who gave away some pretty nice signed jerseys. We had the Besser jersey and the Bo Horvat jersey, both signed um, to give away. Nar saying, Quads is speaking of the dark times blasphemy you're right i you're right like Harmon and i both we don't remember mark messier we know about it because scott rintoul did a really good job recapping that whole era in the west coast express and the you know the, the the years leading up to the west coast express uh in his podcast unreal west coast express he did a great job so we know all about it but no we did not live through it you're right and yes the dark times for me are like those years that i was just discussing about louis erickson being here those were the dark years and of course those dark years ended with Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes getting drafted, Patrick Demko, and of course, what we're seeing right now with the NHL team. So yes, they were dark years, but all it took was Jim Rutherford coming in and, you know, not actively hurting the team with all of his depth additions like the last GM did uh, for them to turn things around. So it was nice. 
by um, the way, speaking of uh, the watch party for a second and tying this into um, the last management regime. So we had a trivia, <laughs> a trivia portion in uh, the second intermission, I think. And one of the questions was asking why um, December, December 5th, 2021 was a significant day in um, Canucks history. And it's because um, Benning and, uh, and Travis Green were, were fired after that miserable start to the season. I think you asked the question, the person answering it got it bang on. He's like, Jim Benning got fired. And then the whole bar started cheering. It's like, it was, part of me felt bad, but then, but the other half of me was like, wow, this is, this is what gets the crowd going. Like the loudest cheer arguably of the night except for when i was like all right give a hand to canuck place children's hospice for sponsoring the event in greta and all that like those were good cheers as well but like in terms of while the game was on that was like the loudest cheer we heard sam lafferty's goal got a big buzz jt miller's goal also got a big buzz but obviously that seattle game there wasn't a ton to cheer about but it was still a really fun time and alec correa said good about i am big doggy he said good because i'm I am Big Doggy. I didn't want anyone copying my flow. So he's coming in with his real name now. I am Big Doggy is Alec Correa. Uh, Alec, I hope you know. I know you've switched accounts. I am forever going to read out your screen name as I am Big Doggy, even when you comment from your actual name. Uh, but thanks thanks for uh, coming into the chat here. Um, all right. What else do we have? Oh, I saw this one. I saw this one on Twitter, Harm. I'll throw it to you. Um, someone asked, Sydney Crosby for Elias Patterson straight up. Who says no? You're bringing back quads heater trade proposals. Is this that what is, we're this doing is the now? Canucks combo YouTube uh, live chat heater trade proposal of the day. Sydney Crosby for Elias Patterson straight up. Who says no? Uh, I mean, Sydney Crosby probably. He's made <laughs> it clear that he wants to stay in in Pittsburgh, regardless of what they do with Jake Gensel, which uh, was up at the Athletics. So. I mean, Crosby says no, but yeah, no, I, I'm not even, that's, that's not a realistic scenario. I'm sure Pittsburgh would, wouldn't, but even from Pittsburgh's perspective, like, yes, trade value wise, it's amazing. You turn an aging star into a star in his prime, but for legacy purposes, um, if Crosby wants to stay in Pittsburgh, you don't move him. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, even from Vancouver's perspective, Ah, I mean, from Vancouver's perspective, it wouldn't be the worst <laughs> thing in the world if you're just trying to go all in during Quinn Hughes right? years. That's um, right. But yeah, it's it's it would never happen. Yeah, and Crosby's still playing some awesome, awesome hockey at this stage of his career. Okay, I want to bring this up. This is from our pal Frank Saravalli, who I believe is going to join us on the show, or us. He's going to join you and Irfan Gaffar on Wednesday, and you know he's going to give you some stuff about Elias Patterson. He's going to talk about Brandon Duhame as well because Duhame, Minnesota Wild forward who ranks 29th on Frank's trade targets list over at dailyfaceoff.com. Frank specifying that on today's DFO rundown pod, the Canucks have been keeping close tabs on the Minnesota Wild forward Brandon Duhame. It's no lock Duhame has moved with Minnesota in a playoff chase, but an intriguing piece on our trade targets board and Frank directly linking Duhame to the Vancouver Canucks harm. I looked at his hockey DB page. It's a who the hell is Bobby McMahon moment for me. I'm not going <laughs> to lie, but I do know he's a big, big forward who is better than anybody on the Canucks fourth line right now. Yeah, he's got speed. He's got energy. He's an energizer bunny type. He's got some physicality. Uh, this is also the first year that he's played a prominent role on uh, the penalty kill. In years past, he sort of got spot duty in that role. Uh, 47 minutes on the PK was the highest he'd um, he'd had in a in a previous season before this one, but this year he's averaging more than two minutes per game uh, on uh, on the PK in Minnesota, and the underlying results are fine. They're not particularly spectacular, but it's also really tough to gauge a player's PK impact. Looking at uh, the numbers, you really have to watch them on a shift by shift basis, and. I haven't watched enough of Duhame's PK shifts to comment on just how good is this guy on, on the PK. But um, the fact that he's been trusted in the first place to play these many shorthanded minutes tells you that um, he's certainly got some shorthanded value. So you look at those ingredients. He's got some size. He's got some speed. He's got some physicality and he can kill penalties. Um, he, he would 
bring an actual identity to your fourth line. And I can understand definitely why the Canucks would, uh, would be interested. Not the same player archetype as Phil Kessel, but is kind of in this conversation of the Canucks looking at upgrading their depth ahead of a playoff chase. And look like this was broken down at CanucksArmy.com today. Stefan Roger broke it down. Dakota Joshua's impact on the Canucks lineup, pretty measurable with him being out for six games. Now He's a very important piece to this team. And look, that's just one important piece. The Canucks have been very lucky. Eh, I'm going to say lucky, but they've been very blessed with their injury luck this season, right? Like they, they've been fortunate with how few players have been out with injury, especially you know long-term, right? Like, yes, Carson Susie hurts them, but they went out and addressed it by going out and getting Nikita Zadorov and getting that depth on defense. Not hard to believe that they would like to do the same at forward as well. Well, I look at also Duhame as just a good PDG upgrade because when I look at Di Giuseppe, especially his recent form, he's the type of player that I look at and go, well, he's not going to kill you if he's in the lineup. He's not going to actively hurt you. But in a playoff style environment, is he bringing a ton to the table, right? He, yeah, he's hardworking. He's generally reliable. Um, He can play some PK minutes. But he's got no offense to bring. And on a fourth line, you want you want a more physical identity, I think. PDG, for as tenacious as he can be on the forecheck, um, he's, he's not the most physical guy. Um, he obviously can step up in a pinch, like when we saw him fight Adam Lowry. But as we also saw in that fight, he's not particularly good at it. Um, so I look at PDG, and I think on a playoff team... Ideally, he's your 13th or 14th forward as opposed to being an everyday member of your fourth line. And, and that's where a player like Duhame could be an upgrade. Brian Choi saying Duhame fights a lot, but loses most of them. We'll see how that goes. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if he's someone that the Canucks can go out and target again, folks. The March 8th trade deadline is fast approaching. We're going to have a show, I'm sure. Uh, Harm, I think we're both going to be working from home that day because as you as you and I both know, trade deadline is one of the busiest days on the hockey calendar when it comes to how much work we actually have to do on that day. Tyson Cole threw this in about Duhame, and he's writing something for Canucks Army. Duhame is also tied for sixth in the league in fights. Nice little toughness for that fourth line. Sixth in the league, and then Brian Choi kind of said he fights a lot but loses most of them. So we'll see. Uh, Nar asking this, would you offer Pod Colson for Arbor Jacke? I'm going to throw you a vibes answer and say, yeah. Uh, I'll be honest. I need to watch more of Jacke. I know he's got the raw tools with the shot, um, with obviously the massive size. He's a fun player, uh, but he's been up and down. I also don't think that Montreal at this point would consider that move because of course he was sent down to the ahl because of his early season struggles but from by all accounts jack i has started to play a lot better lately and even when he was in the ahl didn't seem like the habs were keen to move on from him so from montreal's perspective i don't think they would pull the trigger on a trade like that i dropped you my scouting report and it's the hockey fights profile of jack i dropped it in the live <laughs> chat too uh speaking of which what i just want to get your thoughts on this before we wrap up anyone else and folks in the chat i'm interested too matt rempe you've seen this kid in new york like breathing life back into the nhl in the united states he's getting posted everywhere and i know you know people have different opinions on fighting in hockey i really didn't like the hit on nathan bastion i know some people are gonna fight to the death and say oh clean hit clean hit I agree with you that it does not break any rules of hockey technically, but to me, as much as I talk on this show about, okay, guys got to learn to protect themselves and keep their heads up. That's so gone from the game. That's a player in a vulnerable position. And it wasn't Bastion who put himself in that vulnerable position. I don't want to dissect the hit, but that's just one that I look at and say, okay, like if you do want to get rid of hits like that in the game, then you need to, um, you need, you need to have different rules because under, under the, the rules of the NHL right now, that's a fine hit. That's a fine hit. It didn't result uh, in any sort of suspension. It results in a five minute major, but no fine, nothing uh, from the league on that one. And I'm loving, I'm loving Matt Rempe so far uh, the, the fights. I know his first three games, he had like three seconds of time on ice because he just kept getting into fights or whatever it was that was happening with him. but he scores the game winning goal in that game. And that was his first NHL goal. 
I, I, I love it. I love seeing uh, what Matt Rempe's bringing to the league. Yeah, he's brought a ton of energy and people are talking about him. It's um, it, it's cool. Also, to go back to the Bastion thing, he got he got annihilated twice in that game, didn't he? Uh, I, I, I only saw the one. Okay, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was twice. And the second time Truba got him, I was just thinking to myself, after watching him from the first hit, what I think was the first hit, um, sort of wobbling. How was he allowed, like back in? How was he like not pulled aside by concussion spotters or something? Um, but yeah, that was uh, was a pretty scary. Sort of whether it, whether there whether it was the first or second hit. Um, whatever I saw, Truba blowing him up was um, was a pretty scary hit. You don't see guys violently throwing their weight around like that anymore. It's um, it, the game's changed a lot. Corey Anderson, that young man needs to not take every fight, every game, or he's going to have a very short career. Lisa Martin saying Rempy is a beast. Loved watching him as a Seattle Thunderbird. Yeah, people are really liking Rempy uh, in the chat. And yeah, it's cool. It's it's cool to see a young player come in and, you know, kind of have that impact right away. It, it, I like it. I like it. <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Lisa brought this up too. He was penalized a lot for being too tall when he played in Seattle. The old Tyler Myers special. He's yeah, he's a he's a big boy. He's a big boy. And Kron corroborating what you were saying, Harm. Yeah, Bastion got hit by both Rempy and Truba in that game. Truba's was clean, though, is what Kron said. All right. Uh did you have anything before I get to the Betway Bet of the Day? Anything you wanted to talk about? Nope. Fantastic. I wanted to remind everybody that Irfan Gafar is going to be in Tuesday to Friday. So I'm gone after today. I'm gone from the show uh, for the week. I'll be back next Monday, though. And I have to stress again, it's not a vacation, folks. I just have to go do different stuff. I have to go cover uh, cover the team at the rink. I got to be at the rink every single day because Jeff Patterson is filling in on Sakaris and Price. Uh, and he'll still be doing rink-wide Vancouver as well, post-game. Jeff Patterson's a tireless worker. I was with him on Saturday. We had a fun episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, you want to go relive the vibes of that Boston game? I thought I did a pretty good job capturing the vibes uh after that game on saturday it was it was a good one it was a great game and i'm glad we got to talk about it so much it was a lot of fun today harm um let's get to the betway bet of the day brought to you by our friends over at you guessed it betway and harm i'm coming up with a heater today that's right get it while it's hot folks (laughs) jt miller to win the Hart memorial trophy this season a ten dollar bet at plus 15,000 odds <laughs> returns you $1,510 over on Betway. Must be 19 plus to play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. Harmon, all seriousness, like I'm not the best at math, but like a $1 bet on this right now would return, what, 150? Right? 151, yeah. Okay, there you go. I'm, 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 I'm Wait, sorry. Like, My math's terrible too. What one of those? Whatever. One of them. It's close. It's close. One of us got <laughs> it right. One of us got it right. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You throw it out there right now. And Aaron, Aaron, who is on top of things, saying in our private chat, yes, it would be one fifty one. I'm just saying the way he's playing right now. Elias Peterson has way better odds at the Hart Trophy. That dude's not winning the Hart Trophy. Like, there's no way. There's no way he's winning the Hart Trophy. I would honestly, I would, I would put JT Miller at better odds of winning the Hart Trophy than Elias Peterson right now. And I vote on the award, so I shouldn't talk about it more. And I'm definitely, I'm just for the record, I am not placing any bets on awards that I have the impact on. We're not allowed to do that in the PHWA. I'm not voting on any awards. You and I both, we're not allowed to do that because we can impact the outcomes of those. Although. Life hack. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. No, we're not. We're not. Uh, we're not betting on those. Well, so, now I know uh, where the Noah Juleson, um MVP vote is going to come from at the end of the season. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, Brian Choi. I'm realizing now that quads is the betting houses target demographic. Absolutely <laughs> correct, Brian. Good stuff, folks. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. And Jeremy Lee jumped in and said, say goodbye to your money. Anyways. <laughs> awesome uh awesome awesome interaction in the chat today folks we really appreciate it i'll miss you too a few people all two of you saying that they'll miss me i'll miss you too folks it's gonna it's gonna be a sad week uh for me being gone but uh i will be at the rink i might do a hit i might i might call in i might do a call into the show 
big fan. Wanted to talk talk to you and Earth. We'll see. It'll be fun. I'm delaying this outro because I don't want to say goodbye, but I am saying goodbye. But it's only for this week. It's only for this week, and I'll be back next Monday. But for now, signing off for my co-host, Harmon Dial, and our technical producer, Aaron Bordado. Sorry you didn't get to talk much, Aaron. We love you on this show. You know that. Uh, my name is David Gordelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads brought to you by the Toyota BZ4X. The BZ4X's fresh look is just an added bonus to its range since you can drive up to 406 kilometers on a single charge. That's enough to get you from Kitsilano to Whistler or Kamloops to Kelowna and back and still be home in time for the game. Now that's what we'd call electric. The best part, by choosing electric, you can get up to $11,000 in rebates and incentives The BZ4X are in stock and selling quickly, so make sure to visit shoptoyota.ca or your local Pacific Toyota dealer to get your hands on one. Canucks Conversation is live Monday through Friday, every weekday at 2 p.m. over on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. Make sure you like, subscribe, and interact in the YouTube live chat every day with us, folks. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.